have you been singing in the shower this morning? Yeah, I did actually. I did. You did? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay> yeah. <laughs> this is episode 30 of Lang FM, the podcast about what people do with language. If you've tuned in before, you may recognize the voice of today's guest. That's Rebecca Gorsnell. I go where the wind blows and and sort of hope for the best. <laughs> It's her second time on the show, and that makes me really happy. If you haven't listened to my first conversation with Rebecca, why not catch up on that first? The link to the episode is in the show notes. Go ahead. We'll wait. Okay, good. Great to have you back. Let's see what Rebecca has been up to lately. Her big project, Berlin Station, this long, drawn-out, six-month extravaganza, is now out, and you can watch it. A new leak from anonymous whistleblower Thomas Shaw has targeted the U.S. Embassy in Berlin. There's a leak in the CIA. We need you in Berlin. No one can know why you're there. Not the chief. Not his deputies. Berlin Station is a TV series set in modern-day, well, Berlin, starring Richard Armitage as Daniel Miller, an undercover CIA agent tasked with identifying a whistleblower, and Reese Ifans as intelligence veteran Hector De Jean. Rebecca had the chance to work with both of them as an accent and dialect coach. I'm really proud with how everything ended up, um, and you know we can let the listeners decide. But I'm I'm very happy, and I think that the actors, all all of the actors, did an amazing job. The entire crew did. That was one of the best crews possibly ever. Uh, so, and we were with them for five, no, six months. So it was just a really wonderful experience. When you're working on a film or a TV show, uh, typically those can be 10, 12 hour days and sometimes five, even six days a week. So yeah, you really are, you, you pretty much only see those people. So I would say those people do become your family, uh, all of the crew and, and, uh, everyone working on it. So yeah, I, it, it's, it's very close quarters basically i was wondering if people stay in touch after such a long and intense time together i've been very lucky to be able to stay in touch with a few of the crew members on the set but at the end of the day everyone has the next job that they're going to right and then they have to put in a hundred percent of the same the, the same amount of uh, uh, energy into that next project uh which is is It's a lot of energy. So yeah, I do think that it's, it can be difficult to stay in touch with people. But that doesn't mean that it was any less, you know, amazing to be with those people in the first place. Another thing I remember about my first chat with Rebecca is her love of interesting voices and accents and her little collection of recordings. What about those German accents she encountered when working in the capital of Germany? I wish I would have recorded a few more people, um, but my my favorite was definitely we had two. No, actually, we had three women, three women on the project. Yeah, funny, they were all women from um, Switzerland, and they spoke Swiss Deutsch. When they were speaking it the first time, I thought it might have been the scariest thing to ever come out of someone's mouth. But you know what? I appreciate it now. <laughs> 
I would have loved to get some Swiss Deutsch. It's certainly true that not every German would understand German Swiss. Yeah, I mean, no one, everyone else on the crew basically said that they they didn't understand what they were saying when they were speaking to each other, and they spoke regular German when they were speaking to everyone else. But so it's sort of their own secret language. This made me think of situations I had with my family here in Brussels when we were still new. We would sometimes speak German on the underground, for example, being certain that other people would not understand us. Oh, how wrong we were! Well, Rebecca's partner is French, so I asked her if they sometimes did this too. Well, my partner and I speak French together, and we always think that we're getting away with murder in French. But of course, London is France's sixth biggest city. If you took all the French people and put them into one city, they'd be France's sixth biggest city. So I don't think that we can really think that we're getting away with anything. Plus, most British people have had some sort of remedial French, even if it's even if they don't really speak French, they maybe could pick up a word here or there. <laughs> Foreign language speakers beware. Now, following up on another thread for my first chat with Rebecca, I wanted to talk about how she prepares for her work as an accent and dialect coach, which is not unlike the preparation interpreters go through before an assignment. You can find all the details in a blog post on Rebecca's website. The link can be found in the show notes. It's it's absolutely everywhere. There are some amazing audio recordings of of storytelling online. I know of one website that compiles one old radio show that showcased Chicago from about the 1940s to the 1960s, which is amazing. Majestic, fascinating, monumental. Superbly beautiful Buckingham Memorial Fountain on the lakefront of downtown Chicago reflects the astounding magnitude and impressive beauty of one of the world's greatest cities. Sometimes you have to go out, as I said, and find your own sample. So maybe find someone who is is a modern what did I say, Lithuanian grandmother who's lived in London for 40 years. Maybe you do have to find that. Or, as I said, I, I had to call a Russian bakeries up for just a, the pronunciation of one word. So you have to be a bit thrifty. And I think it's good if you pick up recordings as well along the way. It's important to ask people. For instance, there's an amazing accent on the Orkney Islands that's just incredibly specific to those little villages up there. My friend is also a dialect coach, and we met this woman living up there, and she said, I just have to get a recording of you. So she finally agreed, but sometimes you do have to beg, borrow, and steal. Any conference interpreter who's had to hunt and gather preparation material will know that feeling. Oh, I think preparation maybe is 50% of it all. <laughs> But back to film and TV work. Rebecca, what is it like to coach actors? Are they open to working on language and voice? I personally love working with actors. I think that's why I got into this. I myself studied to be an actor, and so I feel like I I sort of understand. 
When you go to to drama school, you spend years in uh, in a in an acting class with the same people. Every actor works differently when when learning an accent, just like anyone works differently in learning any subject. Some people maybe are really good at mimicking and can pick it up by ear. Other people maybe a more kinesthetic approach. So okay, if we can feel it in our mouths. Or if we can think of an image as well, so image-based. Okay, this sound is really round. Or if we think we need more space in there. But I know many actors who like the phonetics, so they they want to be able to write it in phonetics, see it in phonetics. You mean IPA, International Phonetic Alphabet? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Not so many, I would say, but there are definitely some that do. Okay, we research first, and then we make choices, and then the coaching bit is just figuring out the best way for the actor to get into the accent. I'm going for a very similar thing each time, but it's finding a different way in for each person. Dialect coaches and actors are very similar in that we're very perfectionistic people, and perhaps that's why we work well together. Both parties are never a hundred percent satisfied, and we will continue working until until basically. The camera roll in the editing room says, "Okay, you have to stop." <laughs> the director says, "We're moving on." Rebecca, however, not only works with actors; she also helps people beyond the film set. People who perhaps have a foreign accent and feel like they're they're not being understood in the way that they would like to be understood or taken seriously in the way that they would like to be taken seriously in their work. Um, women who feel that their voices are not being taken seriously. I've worked with people who are preparing for presentations, and perhaps they didn't think of it as a vocal thing; they thought of it as a presentational thing. But voice goes into is is sort of all into that category. And this brings us neatly to the main topic of today's episode: the close link between voice and personality. I know that we tend to call it um, accent reduction, and that seems like a, a bad term to reduce someone's identity. So I think that we've, in the industry, started to call it accent modification. So as opposed to reducing or softening something that's inherently part of the person, we instead work to get them to be more, to, to be better understood. The website Boing Boing had recently published an article with the title "Vocal Fry Uptalking Nasal: Women's Voices Can Never Be Right," and it's sort of this history of women's voices being "quote unquote" wrong. The Boing Boing article riffs on a piece by Jordan Kissner in the New Yorker, asking the question if a woman's voice can ever be right. We definitely, in our in any society, have these certain standards that are put up, or or often not even called standards, but are called neutrals, which are quite funny that the standard is considered a neutral. So when we're looking at voice and also accent, my lovely colleague Amy Chafee says that there are five things that define the standard in any society. Uh, so I'm uh, I was an actor for the last. 40 years. And I fell into dialect coaching about 10, 15 years ago. And typically the standard that defines uh, voice is that it needs to sound white. It needs to sound male. It needs to sound heterosexual. It needs to sound educated. And it needs to sound cisgendered. And so if any of those five points are gone, 
then automatically that voice or that accent is no longer aligning with the standard. Quick note, cisgender refers to a person where the self-perception of gender matches the biological sex. But let this sink in for a minute. At the risk of oversimplifying, unless you're a white straight dude with a degree who also self-identifies as a dude, there's a pretty big risk that what you say is simply taken less seriously. And then in every country, really, throughout Europe, there's a, a standard and it kind of falls along the same lines. There's a linguist in the United States. His name is John Water at Columbia University. I teach linguistics, among other things. And he talks about how we tend to think, for whatever reason, because of how we've been conditioned, that received pronunciation or standard American, whatever the standard is, is the main accent and that every other accent comes out of that. But in fact, we just have a language, English, and each accent, including the standard, comes out of the same place, if that makes sense. So it's actually that no accent is higher or lower than the other. They're just sounds. The problem is, is that because we can classify these sounds into do they sound white, do they sound male, do they sound heterosexual, do they sound educated, do they sound cisgendered, in that case, then things start being defined by a standard. So when we're looking at women's voices being wrong or different, um, it's because they don't necessarily confine with the standard. Let's look at an example. I not only make podcasts, I also listen to a lot of podcasts. Some are hosted by men, some are hosted by women. But the weird thing is that many female podcasters are called out for how they speak. The most frequent accusation being that they have vocal fry. That sound that tends to come at the end of a sentence where the voice sort of falls off and then we end up with a sound kind of like that. That popping and crackling sound at the very end. A lot of podcast listeners, most of them male I suppose, complain about female vocal fry. So many, in fact, that the team of 99% Invisible, a hugely popular podcast about design, have drafted an auto-reply to use in such cases. Hello. You've written in to voice your dislike of one of our female reporters' voices. You're not alone. We have a filter set up that automatically sends these types of emails into a folder labeled Zero Priority. We review this folder and consider the complaints within, well, never. Amazingly, we don't even have a folder for complaints about the male voices on our show because we've never gotten one. Isn't that strange? We think so. Anyway, hope you can continue to enjoy our free podcast somehow. And if you can't, there are plenty of shows that don't feature women's voices at all. Big thumbs up to Roman Mars and the team at 99PI. The thing is, vocal fry is absolutely not a female quote-unquote issue. My partner it does it all the time, and he's he's male. <laughs> so funny enough, particularly in English, but in, in that sense, I'm actually hearing it recently around me more in men, but it is the women that get picked on for it. Interestingly, this is not a recent phenomenon. Hillary Clinton was not the only one getting criticized for her voice. Or Kim Kardashian. This criticism dates back to the first century BC when the Romans used the word aphrania to refer to quote unquote unpleasant women. 
Kana Afrania was the first woman to be allowed to speak before the Roman Senate. Now, I'm wondering if women are being called out for it. One, obviously, because of, of society maybe not liking things that aren't considered the standard. And of course, when voices are delivering the news, they are in a position of authority. So it's this instinct response that this voice doesn't sound like our authority, doesn't sound like our standard. Penny Eckert, who's a, a linguist out of Stanford, was saying that the male voice, when the vocal folds come together to make a modal voice, or a modal voice being the, the voice that you speak with every single day, the one that's not fry, with actual tone to it, the male voice is vibrating 85 to 155 times per second. And for women, that moves up to 165 to 255 hertz per second. So actually, the male voice isn't dropping so much as the female voice. So we're getting this huge pitch range in the female voice that the male voice doesn't have. So do we know when vocal fry became a thing? No one is quite sure, actually. There's uh, one group has, a, has originally said that they traced it to 1960s British men. We can hear it before then. In terms of it being current, um, some people have blamed it on the Kardashians, but many other people have said, well, I don't think you can blame it on the Kardashians because they didn't invent it. Also, Penny Eckert brought up that perhaps it's, it's that people are imitating the Kardashians to make fun of them, and then that just kind of sticks. Also, there was a, a linguist, Mark Lieberman of Language Log. He was talking about how the, there also is... In voices and accents that tend to deviate from the standard, that there tends to be this what he calls covert prestige, meaning that it's actually in that person's favor when they're with that group. Studies have shown that actually vocal fry with young people, they tended to hear it as someone who was young, urban, upwardly mobile. So it seems to be a positive thing for, for younger people. But surely it's not a positive thing for actors or other people who use their voice professionally or is it yeah i don't think it would have been acceptable in drama school <laughs> i don't remember having an issue with it myself i do remember people in drama school with me getting sort of trained out of it when you're an actor you're a professional voice user as we call them pvus which is a very fun thing to assign yourself so you alex are a pvu Anyone who's using the voice professionally, you need the voice to be able to, to be flexible, to be able to do what it needs to do in a range of circumstances. And someone compared, which I thought was really great, the voice to an outfit. That voice is your verbal image to the world. It's the first thing that we hear. And we certainly judge from it. And voice has been used for years and years and years as a tool of prejudice. Every day we're using voices in various different ways to get what we want or need. Perhaps on the phone, you know, we have a phone voice. Hi, how are you? We have a voice when we're trying to get kids to stop messing around. You know, you get into your stop that right now kind of thing. We have our professional voice. We have the voice that we use with our friends over a glass of wine. Your voice does need to be flexible. We shouldn't think of it as this training out of this reduction, but rather a modification and allowing the voice to be flexible. 
The American Speech Language Hearing Association has set up a standard for this, which I think is great, which is three questions. One. Are you able to do with your voice what you needed to do? Two. Does your voice reflect the image you want to project? Three. And does your voice support the message you are conveying? It's only if you answer no to any of these questions that maybe you should think about getting help with your voice. But if you feel that the you know, vocal fry that, that someone's complaining about completely reflects you and it doesn't bother you, then there's no reason really to change. So maybe it's not really a big deal. And unless you have any physiological problems, you don't need to worry about it too much. Then it's their problem, right? Some ear, nose, throat people have said if you attempt to scream while vocal frying, which I'm not sure if that's possible, but um, I would say do not try because they have determined that that is probably dangerous. We're ending this show with an important message to all professional voice users out there. Don't attempt to scream and fry speak at the same time. There's enough screaming and shouting in this world anyway, so take this advice to heart. big thank you to Rebecca Gorsnow for sitting me down on All Matters Voice again. I had a great time and I hope you, dear listener, enjoyed listening to this episode. What's your take on vocal fry or other non-standard speaking habits? Let me know on the podcast website www.langfm.audio or on Twitter by using the hashtag Langfm L-A-N-G-F-M one word. You can find all the articles we've just discussed and more information about the people we mentioned in the show notes, also on www.langfm.audio. Feel free to review the podcast or share it with other language enthusiasts and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. I'll talk to you soon on Langfm.